8.45. Let's get up close. Not directly upon Professor Zhang Huang of Hanguk University of Foreign Studies Law School, but with him. Thank you very much for coming in. Good morning, Alex. And good morning to you. Well, thanks for the benefit of radio. We don't even have to worry about um, standard vision, let alone <laughs> HD and that sort of thing, which is very helpful in the morning. But you are going to help us get up close on a comparison between South Korea and Hong Kong. That's right. Mm -hmm. Considering my brother lives in Hong Kong, and I go there every now and then, this is a, a fascinating comparison for me. I always breathe a bit of fresh air when I come back to Seoul, which, which kind of sounds odd, doesn't it? Because of our pollution and, yeah. and those kinds of issues, but it just feels like it's more spread out here. It is. And I mean, it is you know, physically. Much more physical space in South Korea than Hong Kong. Although in Hong Kong, I mean, I guess if you want to visit you know, greater China, you have a lot more space out there. I mean, Hong Kong for a long time and still is a model for South Korea and it still boasts a per capita GDP, which is about 50% higher than South Korea. So a lot of people do look at Hong Kong for you know, a more advanced economic version of South Korea. On the, other, on the other hand, people also look at Hong Kong as a place where you know, the kind of pure, less fair economics has been uh, exercised where very very low regulation low tax and you know in fact that's why a lot of expats love living there mm. because of lack of re regulation and low tax rates but you know there's a few societal problems that you know South Korea could keep in mind especially since those problems do echo current problems that South Korea faces well I mean just I know we've got a series of points to go through, but picking up on one of those points, uh, absolutely right. You see so many expats in Hong Kong. There's a legacy of British rule there. Uh, a, too, a lot yep. more British expats in Hong Kong than you'll find uh, here yes. in Seoul. Um, as a British expat myself, I can, I can say that I'm more in the minority here. But on the other hand, Hong Kong, uh, it's clearly done multiculturalism in a, in a more open way. Uh, it, it, people will feel more comfortable educating their children. People yes. feel more comfortable getting jobs and staying there for the long haul. That's something that we could perhaps do oh, here absolutely. in this country. Yeah, I mean, being open, being open to multicultural issues in general. I mean, Hong Kong has been much more multicultural city for a long time, and you know, just. Looking at that experience is a good object lesson for South Korea, without a yeah. doubt. And South Korea has a long way to go when it comes to accepting multiculturalism. There is a willingness, though, especially here in Seoul, I find, among local officials. It's just every now and then you hear those horror stories which make you realize this, this, there is that way to go. Let's go through a list here, though. Big economic issues first up here in South Korea. We've got um, the government right now pushing to basically buy jobs. We've mm -hmm. got growth which might be back on its way back up but it's still pretty tame and we've got these big dinosaur companies and, and right. you know they're not that old but at the same time they are a vestige of past economic growth and we obviously need to rely more on smaller businesses as well. Yeah, I mean if you've been paying attention to economic news in South Korea especially what the government is doing basically, basically there are two big pushes well three big, big big pushes one is jobs two is travel reform and three is a real estate reform and what I do want to touch, touch off is the second and third issue that is travel reform and real estate reform and those are issues that are very much pertinent to Hong Kong. I mean, if you look at Hong Kong, it's really dominated of a handful of billionaires and a lot of those billionaires actually came to their wealth by, you know, real estate development. And, 
you know, p- people kind of look at the Hong Kong economy and say, well, it's really free from government regulation, but at the same time, it's dominated by these big billionaires as well as oligopolies. You know, the, the even foreign competition finds it really hard to get into the Hong Kong market. So it really does have that, you know, the similar echoes of the Korean uh, economic problems with, you know, big corp- uh, conglomerates and big billionaires plus the uh, fast-rising real estate prices. Yeah, I, I always wonder, on a related note to real estate, how Hong Kong manages to pass the safety regulations for some of those buildings. They're like matchsticks exactly, perched yeah. up on hillsides. And it feels like a stiff wind would blow them over. I wouldn't feel that comfortable being on a 40th floor, for example, in one of those buildings. I mean, thank God, until now, Hong Kong is not known to be prone to earthquakes, but, you know, if you were anywhere near earthquake risk, risky area, then, you know, how those really matchstick high rises, as you mentioned, I mean, it's very easy to see, for, you know, uh, kind of old buildings that are 40, 50 stories high that are really small in terms of the area they occupy, in terms of the ground area they occupy. And another thing Thing that, that also comes to mind about Hong Kong is you know how how really expensive you know rents are and you know the kind of the the phrases that are thrown out about you know horrors of the, uh, the Hong Kong residential mar- uh, market is then you know so-called cage homes and coffin homes. The literally people on the lower rungs of the economic ladder kind of live in not even a small space to themselves, but little, literally little boxes. I yeah. Mean, if you looked at you know horrors of the Seoul residential market with you know horror stories about Kushiman, just think about it, it's about two, three times worse in Hong Kong for people who are not making a lot of money. And even for the wealthier expats who are out there, I, I know from some of the conversations I've had, what they consider to be a, a, a nice size apartment is probably what many of us here in Seoul would consider to be relatively average or, exactly. or, or even lower average, just, just purely talking about size there. Uh, but But the thing is, are we heading in a, a more dangerous direction here in in Seoul. Uh, We've got this Jansei and Wolsei rental system, Mm -hmm. as you said, um, the way that business corporate real estate structured might be a bit different. What direction are we heading in? I mean, if you're heading towards Hong Kong, at least the place where Hong Kong is now, you know, given the fact that it does have higher per capita GDP than South Korea, people might actually point it as a viable model. But at the same time, if you look at inequality, I mean, Hong Kong actually has highest inequality in Asia, basically. And if you think about people living in like, you know, below, you know, below median income level, the standard of living is fairly difficult, but given the high residential prices, I mean, I talked about cage homes and coffin homes and those are cold cage homes and coffin homes because they really do like cages and coffins. And at the same time, another thing you hear about is that a lot of, you know, expats do enjoy living in Hong Kong for because some of the stuff that they can get in terms of services they can get is really cheap. And that actually means that the kind of, uh, you know, if you look at medium wages, they tend to be really low. And, you know, a lot of people making, you know, just a barely living wages in Hong Kong finds it really hard to make ends meet. And, you know, basically you have to wonder, is Seoul and, you know, rest of Korea sort of moving towards that direction? Yeah. And that's certainly a, a, you know, a cautionary tale from my perspective. The one thing I'd like to throw in there into this part of the discussion Uh, an article I wrote actually I'm just looking back at it um, back in in the middle of last month um, I was citing some data from the government that um, 
Seoul is to become significantly less busy within three decades. An expected population drop of 1.13 million. We're going to see that population fall to 8.81 million by 2045 based on data released by Statistics Korea. But we are seeing population growth in, for example, Gyeonggi province. Yeah, exactly. I mean, Korea has been very aggressive in sort of trying to spread out the population, developing Ilsan, developing Bundang, and developing Panjo and so forth, sort of satellite cities to actually basically deal with the real estate prices. I mean, looking at Hong Kong, you know, now people are sort of talking about maybe Hong Kong needs its own competition policy, crack down on very oligopolistic economic structure. You know, Korea has been already doing that for quite some time without too much success, I guess. You know, people will actually say, you know, a lot of Korean economic growth is being stunted by oligopolistic uh, structure of the chabals dominating the Korean economy. But Again, I think the big question for Hong Kong and Korea might be dealing with this big oligopoly. You know, similarly, family-run businesses that are yes. you know billions of and uh, billions of dollars worth. Will that actually lift everyone's living standards higher? That actually is a big open question that you know we don't really have a good data for. Uh, well, tackling inequality does seem to be a big agenda for the government, doesn't yes, it? I mean, it was as well, actually, for the Conservative uh, government too. Before. Well, they, they talk the talk, but it's, it's really doubtful whether they actually walk the walk. I mean, if you recall Park Geun-hye administration, they t- talked about, you know, the Economic Democratization Act actually took that issue away from the opposition party when Park Geun-hye administration first came to power, but basically walked back on a lot of the campaign promises. But, you know, the rising inequality is a fact of life in Korea, and w- whether the government policy can effectively address is a big question. I I just wonder what your views are on tackling inequality. We are all born unequal for various reasons, aren't we? Uh, And and we've got to have some welfare provisions in place. We do have to try our best to offer the best education to everybody, the best health care to everybody. But do we at some point also have to accept that it's good for us to have... (laughs) Some thriving businesses and some thriving individuals. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, uh, I'm not some you know, bleeding heart liberal who actually says, you know, we need to have equality, perfect equality in society. And, you know, we can't really have anybody uh, amassing big fortunes. But at the same time, I think for stability of the economy and just for, you know, just a civil virtues, we need to have a very strong safety net. And I think that's something that Korea lacks. And uh, in a large extent, Hong Kong lacks even more. And I think that's a lesson to draw from Hong Kong for Korea. Well, thank you very much. It's really interesting. And uh, I'll take notes during my next visit and report back to you. Sounds great. <laughs> thank, that. thank you very much for helping us get up close today, Professor Zhang Huang of Hanguk University of Foreign Studies Law School. And uh, yeah, just when you find the heat a little bit stifling in Seoul today, just to imagine if uh, you were surrounded by matchstick buildings without much room to move around either. Maybe that'll f- make you feel a little less claustrophobic. And thank you for your company today. That's our programme. We'll be back Monday at 7.05, so please join us then too. But stay with us too for your latest news headlines coming up in just a few moments. And then Kardashian and Koreascape.